this is Dr. April Murdoch. I have this echo here. I'm sorry. This is Dr. April Murdoch. Uh, with Woman to Woman Financial, um, and I am so excited about our guest on the Becoming a Financially Confident Woman podcast. So I met this young lady actually at a networking event. She showed up from Atlanta. ATL is my always been the place I wanted to move to. I just went everywhere but there. But nevertheless, I got an opportunity to meet her at a networking event, um, and was so thoroughly impressed. We scheduled a one-to-one and found out her background in therapy and in coaching and all the wonderful, wonderful work that she does for women, particularly around healing money trauma and healing shame. And so she and I have had, she actually kind of gave me her time when I was in the, I felt like in a crisis and and uh, she donated her time and talked me off of a ledge of imposter syndrome, which is what we'll talk about today. And you guys know I'm so transparent on this thing. So there's nothing I typically hide about my journey. And I'm excited to have her come and talk to us about what she does to help women heal from the money trauma, deal with the money shame. And so welcome to the podcast, Melissa Alaba. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for that warm introduction. I, When we met, I felt like you were the powerhouse. I was like, oh my God, look at this woman running the show. I have to meet her. And it was just so exciting that we had a, a great connection. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I definitely am too. And I now can count you among one of my sisters that I know that really helps other women and has a heart for empowering them in this space that you do. So why don't you give us your background? Tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. So I have been a licensed professional counselor for 20 years now. Um, I have a group practice and we you know, work with people with all sorts of things happening with them in mental health. This is my second practice. My first practice was in Illinois. I had that for eight years. And then this practice is 13 years old. So like I said, I've been doing this work for a long time. I got started when I was 23, when I opened the first practice. Um, and I, I had an associate's license, uh, but I knew what I wanted to do. So I hired people who were fully licensed. And uh, because I, I, I always, you know, like one of my skills is marketing. So that was just like really my start. Um, as we'll get into, I got into the money trauma the money healing piece after I went through a divorce in 20, uh, well, found I had cancer in 2014. The divorce started happening around the same time. And that was when I got impacted by all the things that happens when you're going through cancer and a divorce and a move and raising kids. (laughs) Wow. 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 Yeah. I mean, you know, we women are so strong, especially us black women are so strong. We wear the weight of the world on our shoulders. Yeah. And just for you to list the trauma you went through. Yeah. Y'all listening to this, then she's got some good stuff for you because she's on the other side of this. And now she's helping other women go who have gone through this or going through this navigate this. But also something I wanted to something you said, and I and I always kind of take notes as I listen, but something you said was you were 23 years old, um, and you hired other licenses. Like me and my girls, we have this thing called BBB. I can't say all the words there, but figure <laughs> them out, right? And so that's BBB action right there that at 23 years old, like what gave you the gumption to say? I'm going to hire other people to work for me because I'm not licensed yet. So I would definitely say this. And I always tell people, you know, because, you know, I have a coaching program and I coach women to help them build their best business and and make more money. Everybody's going to come in at different spaces. Right. And they're going to have different skill set. So the skill set that I had that most people never had or never will have is immediately after high school uh, my parents didn't have enough money for me to go to college my choice the college that i did get accepted to i got a full ride scholarship to columbia university in chicago i turned it down you know you have to accept by a certain time so i turned that down because both of my parents were not educated they didn't know any better i really wanted to go to clark atlantic uh in university in atlanta 
And when that, that little paper came and it was $22,000 and it was like, you got to pay 2000 for your room and board. And I looked at them and they were like, oh, we don't have anything for that. And I think they offered me, Clark Atlanta offered me about what, $4,000, whatever it was. It, it, it just was nowhere near what needed to happen. So with that, I literally was like, oh my God, I was disappointed right? Disappointed my parents. And of course, now, of course, that's not their fault. Like, I don't even know how I didn't know that. But most of our kids don't know what our financial situation is. And I had been talking about college from day one. So I just thought that they, you know, had it. So I was disappointed. But what happened out of that disappointment was I found a job. I was like, I'm not staying here. I'll pay for myself to go to school. So I got a job selling books and magazines door to door. And I did that two years. So in the moment, I'll never forget, my dad was totally disappointed. (laughs) But I became one of the top salespeople. And at the age of 18, and this was, you know, this was a long time ago. This was what, 1994, 95? I'll make it like 500, between 500 and $1,000 a week. And I'm sending money home, taking care of my sisters, paying bills for my mom, all sorts of things. So it was that ability to sell. That was that was what I had that I didn't know that I had. I wasn't afraid to talk to people. I wasn't afraid to go into a room and selling books and, and the magazines door to door. Every morning we had to practice our sales talk. We had to practice sharing what what we sold. We sold jet better believe so jet jets and ebony magazines in essence. <laughs> that, that, that's what we sold and, and encyclopedias. Wow. I would show up and stuff, knocking on somebody's door. Hi, my name is Melissa, working my way through to college. And literally all the kids that were there were kids who didn't have money for school. And we were working to earn money to go to school. Mm-hmm. And then they would put, they would give us some of it. We had a draw we got every week. And then they would put some aside for our school that we got when we left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is how I started college, by the way. So, yeah, that is wow. so I had that skill set. And that skill set then led to me selling Mary Kay. I had a team under me when I was 20 because after I came back, I, I did the crew for like two years. We call it the crew. Then I was a, mil- a Mary Kay sales rep and I had like six or seven people that were under me. So by the time I, you know, knew for sure I was going to school for counseling, I got had already shown me I was going to have my own practice. I didn't know how that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I wound up meeting a professor who I interned with. And he told me, and it's like, again, I'm in my 20s. And he said, oh, you're going to do what I do. Because he had his own practice. And he said, you're going to do And he told me to go ahead and start the LLC. So a black psychiatrist <laughs> is the reason why I started my LLC at 22 years old. And yeah. yeah. So the first contract that I had was a state contract. And he showed me how to get it. The thing with the state contract, though, is once I got it, I now had to figure out how to work it because that was the thing. Like you could get it, but people had to sign on at the different agencies to use your agency. Um, So I would have to set up presentation calls, like call their agency. Hey, my name is Melissa. I have this new company. Uh, I would love for you guys to use my organization. Can I come out and do a presentation, uh, you know, with the counselors and stuff that work there? So they would let me come. And that's how I started. Wow. 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 Well, you see how that sales career kind of set up, right? Because in sales, there's a lot of no's, rejection, right? The cyclical light. And then how God sent you a mentor in, right? So thank God for that path. That is just an amazing path. And when we look back on our lives, right? And we say, we're here. Mm -hmm. And then you take that that look back as to, all right, what were the things that impacted or got me here? That is so amazing that those were the things. And so I'm glad that happened to you. I'm glad your parents didn't have money. All right. Me too, because I would have never had that business. Yep. Uh, I would never had that business. I made my first million dollars by the time I was 28 years old. Wow. And I would have never had that business. I would never have done the things that I had done. I would never be able to coach and train the women that I coach and train now on how to get beyond sales because sales and marketing is so huge in growing your business. You know, I just did a masterclass the other day. And one of the things that I said, the number one reasons why businesses fail is not people. This is what people always say. They say the reason why the business fail is because the business didn't get enough capital. 
But here's the thing. If the business could sell its products, it wouldn't need the capital. So it really fails because people don't know how to sell. And they think that if I get more money, then that will be the thing that will help me to now sell more. Like I could hire the other people who could sell. I could do this thing, you know. So because I've had to always bootstrap my businesses, the thing that I always have known is very, very important was me being the person behind it that believed in the product, believed in the service, and then got it out there to the market to sell it. Yeah, see, that's important. I have a saying, you know, money and um, money answered a multitude of sins. Once you run out of, my, run out of money, right? Wow. Then you start realizing how creative you can be. And it's like, so if I have all this money, why can't I just keep that creative nature and not spend it because now I can do all this great stuff with it? So that is amazing. That is amazing. So you went into counseling because you felt like, okay, this is what God told me to do. Of course, you had a mentor there. So tell us about how you got into this specific line of work. Because this is this is unique in terms of healing stuff and trauma and all of that. Yeah. So I like I said, I, I got called into counseling and that was by way of, you know, I'm on the street, uh, 19 years old, about to turn 20, and I'm walking down the street and a young lady walks up to me and tells me, you know, she just had a, a spontaneous abortion at home. And I was just standing there like, you know, wow, like, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that that happened. And she said, well, you know, thanks for listening to me. I was like, okay. Um, and then I kind of talked to God. I was like, okay, God. And then a couple weeks later, I'm on a train and a guy sits next to me and tells me he just lost his job and he's about to go home and tell his wife. And I was like, okay. You know, I'm like, I'm sorry to happen. And he gets up and just, you know, leaves. So I wound up getting a vision from God that that was going to be my path. Because at the time, I was looking to go to school for fashion design. That's what I wanted to do, uh, which is one of the reasons why I love clothes. I love, like, expressing myself through that. But that was that was what I wanted to do, was fashion design. That changed my life and to the point to where I knew I was going to help people heal. And that was not the way therapy was going 20 years ago. You know, therapy looked very different, but I saw that vision from God. So I say that to say, like, people have always shared with me um, and I've always worked to help them. What was the change? Like, I've always worked to be a coach versus like, here's the resource. You know, social workers tend to also always give you the resource. Go to the public aid office, go to so-and-so, so-and-so. I've always said, what else could we do? Like, what else do you have? What other, you know, in your bag that we could pull out? What pots do you have? You think about the woman in the Bible and, and um, yeah, the yeah. Over there. it's your pots, go fill them up, get your neighbors. I've always been that person. Mm-hmm. And I started, like I said, had the divorce, going through the cancer, not being able to be the person that I am, you know, today. Energy was really low. I mean, it was just a lot going on and you're trying to figure it out. Uh, anybody who's gone through cancer know that you have cancer brain. Uh, a lot of fatigue. I had after cancer. I'm totally healed now. It's been seven years at least. I'm ready. Um, but I had active cancer for three years. So I was tired. I was like, all the things. But bills don't stop. Nobody wants to hear your story. Um, and the kids still had to be tended to. So I had to find another way. I had to figure out how to work less and make more because I could not do what I had normally did. Like I was a person that would get up at five o'clock in the morning come down to my office, plan the day, start executing by seven. I would be there to like, sit. like literally I was this person that, you know, like all the things. If, if you talk, talk about somebody running with the boys, I can run with the boys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I no longer could do that in my, in my current state. So I had to change everything. And so I had to restructure what my pricing looked like. I had to restructure how my business was set up and I had to do it quickly. so that because what i realized during that time and this is what i talk about often you know when i when i go out and i do talks is that i realized that i would not be completely healed until my money was healed and it was hard to heal my money from a space of physically not being healed so that was the first healing that i prayed god would do is just heal my body every day i woke up and said i'm healed i rarely talk to anybody about the cancer uh I just did the things I needed to do. Eat them well. I researched all the different vitamins and minerals I was supposed to take, exercising. And then I said, okay, God, once you heal this, because now you have medical bills, you have 
all these things. I had to go to MD Anderson, my last surgery. That surgery was $60,000. So I had monies, you know, savings that I use. I mean, just different things to be able to be where uh, I am healthy and I'm excited. But I came out of that pretty devastated. My ex-husband took the home that we lived in. Um, you know, because he stayed up north, I wound up moving. So I walked away with very little. And, and that was just me. I just decided I, I just was going to have more. My kids deserve more. I deserve more. And so that was how uh, money healing started for me. That, mm-hmm. That's when I said, when I work with people, it can't just be about all the other traumas. The big things like losing a home, a job, this is a whole another type of trauma that has to be addressed. And no one was addressing it. I mean, I, no one was addressing it. And so I start like putting together a structure how to work around that. And then I started looking to see who else was doing that work and learning from other people who were also doing that work. And I tell you, that has been like the biggest blessing of my life because I know it was a game changer for myself. It's been a game changer for others. Yeah, I think so many women deal with those issues and there's no, you know, my daughter, she's in social work now. She's in school and she's like, once you put a label on it, like once you get that label, then it's like, okay, you know, it almost like validates these feelings like I am not out of my mind. So I think, you know, for a long time, I know myself and the women that I've worked with, really smart, successful women um, had this issue and we didn't know what it like, what is it called? Like, what is that name? All I know is I feel this and this and it looks like this and it shows up this way and, and, um, and it's debilitating and it's, you know, all of these things. But now when I, I think when I met you and also a little before, I do have a lot of folks that are in my space that are in your industry. And no one had said that to me except for one of my clients who's in the industry. And I was like, ah, that's what it is. That's what it is. So tell us, like, how does that money shame come up? How does... How do you know that you need healing? Like, what are the things that show up in people's lives that you've seen? Um, which ways does it manifest, basically? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, first of all, I'll say all of us have some money trauma, right? So, it might be money trauma from situations that's happened from you. So, a divorce, a loss of a home, a job. You know, maybe you lost a job. It took you about a year to get another job. So, in that meantime, things got off track. Your savings got off track, bills, payment, like... Any of those things, a car repossessed, um, money trauma can also be from not being able to provide the things that you want to provide. You know, your kid wants to go to a, um, a historical black college and you're like, nope, it's got to be a state school. <laughs> so that also can impact how you feel, how they feel, you know, things like that. Um, so once we look at that, we now also look at how our parents were raised. What were the things that happened to them that we also inherited by way of how they showed up for us, things that they said, their limitations, their liabilities. Also, the things that they gave us that were great, like their strengths, you know? So that's like money trauma, looking at that. Money shame comes when we have this innate feeling of guilt over money. Like, I should have made a better choice. Why did I get that latte? Oh, you know? <laughs> so we are beating ourselves up over over choices you know so i always tell people like you can always make another choice you know i actually wrote a post today i was i have three money trees in my house and i was cleaning my money trees and the one in my office looks so good the one in the living room one is wilting and i was like okay we need to change the position so i was like okay i'm gonna change the position it probably needs some sunlight the one in the corner had a couple faded um leaves and again it just needed a new direction if i just literally rotate it. When, I, when you think of money as something that's just going in and out, we can always shift the direction. We can let go of some of the guilt and the anguish that comes with decisions. It's allowing it not to be that big of a deal um, and figuring out what to do next. I think that's big in a lot of ways because when I think of educated Black women, a lot of us have gotten debt in order to have 
the degrees that we have and the positions that we have. So it's like on one instance, we're really excited about what we've accomplished. And on the other instance, it's like, oh my God, this cost me so much. And so I see so many times women are now so conscientious over all their choices because some of their foundational choices, they feel like they they didn't make good decisions around. So it's just really a lot about giving yourself grace. And I, and gosh, you said a mommy, I'm make, make, writing down notes, but you know, you remember in full transparency, my phone call to you and that I made a decision um, and, and spent an amount of money that I have never, ever, ever, spent on myself in my life and you know um it it was an investment in in me yes um but it wasn't I felt like I did I should not have made that decision right so for and I, I don't know if there are a lot of women out there like myself but if you are you are hardworking and smart and accomplished and you come from a background where maybe you are the first mm-hmm. so the weight is on your shoulders and then maybe in looking back in retrospect it was like you did things to because you did it good, you were recognized a lot. So you keep doing these good things, right? Because you keep getting this positive reinforcement. And so when you don't do the good thing, it's all of this criticism. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to be programmed with it and then you start doing it to yourself. And so I feel like I do that a lot to me where it's like, girl, you shouldn't have done this. You should have been further in life. You should have made this decision. You should have done um, if you're so smart, then why are you not here? If you're so smart, why don't you have this? And this is so this is the internal stuff I know. And I can be honest about that I deal with. And I know that there are women out there who deal with it, too, because they're my clients. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I had we have those issues about beating ourselves up over the decisions that we make. And then you hear this word called grace. Right. And so and so then it's like, OK, so what exactly does grace look like? Because how how do you someone navigate that that to all right, get to it? How do you help people deal with those self-critical converse internal conversations that they're having about the financial choices that that made that they made? We're clearly when when they come to see me, clearly we both know that yeah maybe not but how, how do you deal with that how do you help us get through those well, I never, don't tell you where, where you are okay that's the biggest thing for me is mm-hmm. you know after we assess what the past looked like and we understand what your core beliefs are then we we're, we're like okay this is what we need to work with and so there's no judgment there's no guilt here i am i think about myself at 48 um and really like in my mid-40s deciding that, okay, I need to start investing again. And then I decided at an accelerated pace and I decided what what that would look like for me in order to hit the mark that I wanted by 62. So I say to anyone, when I look at my clients, what we're able to do is just look at where they are and what they really want. Sometimes when we are putting judgments on ourselves, it has nothing to to do with other what other people um, what we want, but what other people want. I mean, like someone else said we had to have $2.5 million to retire. Someone else said we had to have this or that. And a lot of times people haven't taken full account of what they actually have. You know, so again, one of the things that we do when I work with my clients is we look at what you actually have in terms of assets that you actually have, a home. Okay, great. You know, a rental property, somebody left you so-and-so. And then we look at what did you want to do? What type of retirement would you want to have? Because, again, I have people who want a fat fire, you know, and their retirement, they want to be able to spend $12,000 a month just like they did now. I also have people who are like, one client I'm thinking in particular, it's just like $5,000 a month would be great for me. I just want to read books. I want to be in Tampa. So we looked at everything. Okay, she sold her house in Atlanta, moved to Tampa. Uh, Her social security amount was $2,700 a month. So the additional part that needed to come in was like, oh, I could do this in a part-time business. And she's in financial services, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, she was, so she she wasn't bad off like she thought. Yeah. So a lot of times it's putting a perspective on where we really are and what assets that we really have. And then what would that look like for what we want to do? 
um, and, and coming up with a plan. And so once you have a plan from where you are, it's really easy to now feel comfortable and feel motivated to move on and not look at, oh my God, I could have been doing this. Because when I look at my past, I made a lot of money early and we put it all away. You know, so here's the issue though. I was 23 when I met my husband. I was 24 when we got married. We also had real estate properties. So I had purchased our first, I want to say maybe we had like 10 properties by the time I was 28, 29. Um, then he went to law school. When I tell you, people look at us and say, how are you doing all that? And it was because if I had an idea, we both would just get together and do it. But I did not know. I didn't. I, sh- I should have also been putting money away for me. Everything went to a central pot. And so no one taught me that. Yeah. So after my divorce, when all of a sudden a lot of things weren't accounted for, and to this day, who knows? Like I have homes in Nigeria that I don't know about. <laughs> but, um, you know, that my kids like, oh yeah, daddy's telling us about this house over here. And I'm I'm sure I helped build it. Uh, <laughs> so I say that to say I can't beat myself up over something I did not know. My parents weren't educated. I mean, they were just happy that I was with somebody and we had a nice home and we, you know, we looked like everything was going great. So I did not know that I was supposed to be looking out for myself in that. Um, but what I did know at 40 was like, okay, how do I regroup and how do I figure this out? And for several years I had cancer, so I couldn't even regroup or figure anything out. Mm. I just had to take care of my kids. So here, here I am, middle-aged woman saying, okay, what do I do next? And I've been able to do it, like figure it out. And I know I'm okay. It's going to be great. So I know that we're smart enough. If we can figure out how to get out of a struggle, we can figure out how to thrive. You know, and that that you said that word, and that brings me to the podcast. May may not be related at all, but you and and you guys, she has a podcast. So I'm going to make sure we link this podcast in the show notes. Um, and you have a podcast. I swear, I I listened to a few of them, but this one. The increase in the pricing that, that hit me in the head, not because of the topic, not because, yeah. of, but the way you traced the reasons why we do or we do not do the things or feel the worth that we feel as women, women and the shame and the trauma and all that other stuff that is playing into that. Could you could you tell us about that? Because I realized and I, I'm going on, but I realized that. There are times, a lot of times in my life, until probably recently, I've operated from a place of struggle. Mm-hmm. And and I see women that way. It's like, if I could just get to this place, you know, I just want to get out of this. And and so tell us why we do that based on what you shared. If you remember, I know it was a while ago. But. So I know what you're talking about. And that was a, it was a 20 minute segment. Girl, that thing, that was the best 20 minutes. And I have clients literally texting me saying, oh my God, thank you for sharing that. Like I so need it. Oh, Joe, thank you. Yes, it was thank so you. good. But so I would say guys, go back and listen to that. Cause I yeah. got going to ancestral trauma in that. Um, but what I will say, re- Recap the question. Let me make sure. I Yeah. So like, how how does that, you know, what you shared in the podcast in terms of, you know, that ancestral trauma contribute to the shame and the things that we feel and how we are operating and showing up when it comes to our money and stuff. Yeah. I'm glad you said it. All right. So listen to the podcast. Yeah. Y'all got to listen to the podcast there. But I want to, I want to talk about us as women. Okay. So as women, there's an expectation that we often give and we give like just because we're trained that way. We're also trained to take care of stuff. So we're conditioned to budget. We get the household. So you think about your mom, your grandma. Somebody was going out and doing the heavier lifting and they were taking care of all the kids at home. Mm-hmm. So what that said is like, if I give you $100, right? I give you, they didn't have to make it. I give you $100, then you got to go and make this, pay the light bill, uh, make sure Susie has a dress. So you got to go and you're going to make the dress, go go and get some, you know, uh, material, make the dress. And you also got to make sure we have food for the next three weeks. So we learned how to budget early on. Women traditionally do not know how to make money. 
And because of that, because of that, we're breadwinners now, but even with being a breadwinner, here's the thing. When you meet men or you think about men's businesses, their businesses, I want to say it's 10 times the amount that ours makes. Well, go, go look at all the statistics and the data, even up to 2023. The average woman's business makes um, 88% of all women businesses. The business owner makes $100,000. Like 88% get to that mark. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Out of black women's businesses, the so women of color, our average business makes $47,000. And that was like, again, statistic up until last year. <laughs> right, right? Mm-hmm. So only like 3% of all businesses ever hit the million dollar mark. And most of them that do are men, right? Mm-hmm. And and here's the thing. Men never had to think about budgeting. This is what I truly believe. They never had to think about budgeting. They never had to think of like smaller increments. This is what you got to work with. They they were by design just go out there and fish and make it happen. So I think a lot of times we have to break through our own conditioning. This is why people will just get enough. You know, the mortgage payment is thirty six hundred. You got to make sure you have thirty eight. <laughs> so I think it's like that that little cap that is there. But once you realize it's a cap. You can say, let me ask for more. Like, I don't have to say I want to make a hundred thousand this year. You know, my my personal goal was like, look, five hundred thousand. And then I'm gonna talk to I was like, I, I gotta get my financial person so we can make sure I keep some of it. <laughs> right. Yes. But I'm just saying, you can choose how much that is. You can take the cap on. Why does it have to be a hundred thousand? Why does it have to be two hundred thousand? Who came up with it? You know, so you can choose what it is that you want and then you can decide what that number is. And here's the thing. Whenever you go for a higher amount, your brain now has to think in a higher dimension because mm. it has to figure out, well, how would I get a million dollars a year versus a hundred thousand? And you know what? The things are going to be different. The activities are going to look different. Yeah. And so that is really the work that I do with my clients. Like, you know, we had a mastermind the other day and I had three clients that showed up on a mastermind and I was so excited because they're doing so amazing. And they all said it came back for refreshers because uh, I think like 2021 was one, another one worked with me in 2022. But I love it because I know what they're doing now. And when they took that cap off, the ability to earn more and to want more or desire, that desire and that worthiness, all of that was like, phew, it just went sky high. So that- Yeah, so that's like, but that's like what they call doing the work, right? Yeah. So, so because you, you're right, I think even in the podcast, you said like, we're so used to taking lemons and making lemonade. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we're conditioned. We're conditioned to be survival. And yes. so I know for myself, there are times like, okay, this is what I need. Like, I just, yeah. I, then when I get that, I'm like, whoo, but yeah. it's so much more, yeah. so much greater, so much yeah. bigger. And I think working with someone like you to kind of help identify those generational things. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be just African-American, you know, yeah. speak to that in your in your podcast. But whatever those things are, I think we have been programmed generationally to only do certain things and only aspire to just survive. Or just, and so thriving is not like, what is thrive? Like, girl, I got my bills paid. Like, stop. Like, and I'm a business owner and I was able to pay my bills. I'm doing better than pass for the people out here you know so yeah that is that and I, what i go with that too mm-hmm. so just so you know that like it's shame to go with that so like um i would say 30 percent of my clients are in the tech industry and a part of their work with me was they were making more money especially the last couple of years more money than they've ever made before so i mean i would get phone calls like i have one client who referred three of her other friends they're in the tech industry because this was the thing was like each one of them were making 300000 plus. Mm-hmm. One was making 500000 She had three jobs, okay? Because again, you're working from home. She was a contractor on each. And it was like more money than she's ever seen before. She's like, what do I do with it? Like, you know, those like all of these. And it was such fun. Like, I love to see people win. It was very much rewarding and fun conversations for me to see people like, get relaxed in it because a part of it too was like not feeling worthy of it but yet I should be here and thank god they had like their friend groups to anchor them in that this is normal but it is also just like 
starting to put your body in alignment, like there's so many different components. Your body, like so your central nervous system, your brain stem, all of these different things, you're you're putting your body in alignment that this is okay. Because when you start making more money, you start to also have an excitement type of feeling in you when it's not normalized yet. So our big piece of stepping into your next level is once you step into that next level, you now have to normalize it and allow yourself to stay there for some time. So I always tell people like when you when you have a, another increase and you feel like you're jittery nervous, that jittery nervous, that's where people start spending and doing different things. Because again, what happens is psychologically, the way we are conditioned is we try to get back to where our old space was because that was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And people start to spend out when they get that space because they're out. Wait, stop, stop. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. But you just said that that is so deep, Melissa, because yeah. I've I've recognized that too, you know? Wait, hold on, hold on. So basically the worth and the space to hold the money, we we don't we haven't really reconciled that yet. No. I guess. And we and you don't know you haven't reconciled it because you'll keep getting back to where you were. And it'll be like, how could I be making $200,000 now? And I still feel like it was only 100 k And that's because you haven't come into an alignment with where you are. And so that's where the pause has to take place and the deeper work. So you could be comfortable holding money mm-hmm. and having it. And, and that's like, that's the part that amazes me. That's the part that I'm like super honored about. Because again, I have clients who come to me when they weren't quite making 100000 and then we get them to where they're making more. And now they come back because they're like, oh, my God, now it's happening. <laughs> and now I need to regulate, you know, normalize this so that I can put monies away. I can feel comfortable with it. Because, again, in that space, when you having more, if you haven't dealt with stuff like people pleasing. Now, everybody that comes to you asks for something, you're giving it to them. You know what I'm saying? If you haven't dealt with any of your internal issues, they are now multiplied at this level because you're trying to get back to your own sense of safety and and normalize. We always want to feel like we are just like everybody else around us. Mm-hmm. And you're not at a certain level. And so you do have to, like, it's like, not that you're better than, but this is an area that you've, you've mastered to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and it's okay so, so being okay with money also means that I get to keep it without giving it all away. And I've been there with, I, man, everybody who used to call me, like, so I talked about the money that I had. Family, I was, any situation you could think of, bailing people out of jail, somebody don't have a house payment, somebody needs so-and-so, somebody just can't need so-and-so. Like, I need to just write checks. <laughs> and I felt like I had to, because that's, you know, I felt like I was helping. Having cancer and going through that situation with my ex also helped me to understand I wasn't helping anyone because I couldn't call any of those people, by the way, when I was going through anything. Mm-hmm. They were all looking at me like, you ain't put money up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought you weren't smarter than that. Before. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, which is, it, again, and just helped me to understand, like, ah, like, we all have to do the work. You can't do the work for anyone. You can't do the work for your children. You can't do the work for your parents. You know what I mean? Like, everybody has to do their own work around money and and, and having and holding. And I hear people all the time, and I know I'm just going and going. So I'm, No, no, I, uh, I'm, girl, look, <laughs> this is a privilege, so please go ahead. I hear people all the time, they're going to leave a legacy to their kids. And what I want to say to everybody who's going to leave a legacy to their kids, they're leaving the home, they're leaving the cars, they're leaving the 401k and all these things. If you haven't taught your kids about money, if you haven't learned about money, they're going to blow it. Yep. You can go look at the south side of Chicago, south side of Atlanta, any area. I probably can go right here in Florida. There were properties that somebody owns. Previous to this, you know, us rising up, you have all of these first generation owners from the 40s, 50s, and 60s who left it to their kids. Mm-hmm. And the kids didn't pay the property taxes because they didn't know anything about that. And they lost it. 
You know, so if you're not teaching your kids how to be responsible with the things that you want to leave them, you're not leaving a legacy. Yeah. And that's so important, I think. And I try to tell people that, too. It's like, you know, you you, you work, you bust your butt to elevate yourself to get to a place out of the struggle. Right. Mm-hmm. Poverty, the struggle. Um, and, and so you expose them to good education, you provide those resources for them, but giving them something is not something you want to do. Show them, show them how it, how it works, live it, teach them. I think that is so extremely important because I know, you know, as a parent and you are too, it's like, yeah, I want to give my children more. I want to But my thing was, and still is, I want to expose you to more. No, I don't want you to have to have the struggle, per se, that I've had. But, you know, if I give you these resources or expose you to these resources and you crap on them, it's like, yeah, so if I left you all this, what are you going to do? Yeah. So that is a very, very important point. And I think, you know, worthiness, you know, you you talked about that. And I I was thinking about, like, and I, I think I put a question on there, it's like, how do we begin to heal and deal with the shame as we women who may be first generation anything, first generation college, first generation millionaires, hundred thousandaires? Like, how do we begin to deal with the the heal the shame and everything as we elevate economically and socially in in our communities? Like, how does that play out, and what do you do to help them do stuff deal with that? I definitely say say having someone in your corner who understands. So whether it's me, whether it is a group of women, you know, one point I belong to, we should all be millionaires. You and I talked about Uh Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends from there, you know, so relationships with other women who are doing things that you're doing. A lot of my clients, all my clients, by the way, and I've shared this with you on there too, are my friends. Uh, We could be on the same path, you know, so... Just knowing that there are other people who are just like you, I think that helps. And then on a personal level, all of my clients get a toolbox. And so part of that toolbox is how to take care of yourself, right? So that is, what does it take to self-soothe when something doesn't go right? What does it take to um, to get myself in a better headspace when, you know, a business dealing or what have you, I, had, I found out the other day a grant that I was going to have Another organization, you know, uh, got it. <laughs> Go into that story another day. Got it. How do you move? You know, move on. And a lot of that is self healing, uh, which is or self soothing, which is like talking to yourself calm. Like, girl, you're good. We'll find another one. You know, going for a walk, like daily walks, meditation, um, baths for me are so soothing. Right in my diary. And then affirming yourself because you have to talk back to that negative self-talk. You know, like when you were talking about imposter syndrome, a lot of that comes from comparing ourselves to other people. We don't know what other people are doing. And I think when you when you get in a space where you don't compare, it really helps. And even if that's unfollowing people, I there was this one guy. I liked him a lot. I won't say his name, but he has a big organization and he helps people make money. Big organization. They have a big conference every year. I stopped following him because his goal was to grow, grow, grow. My goal, and it always has been on this side of my business, I have two two businesses, I have the coaching um, business, and then I have the group practice. But the coaching business, I literally just help six-figure plus women, you know, become their best selves and their money and, and, and so forth. And I do that individually with my programs. I designed it that way. So I affirm what I've created. And a lot of times what we do is we start comparing what other people created. And then it's like, oh, I'm not doing enough. And then you're beating yourself up or like not happy with which when you really get into your own life and how it works. Like for me, my own life is so at peace. I'm so in love with the life that I've created um, and the business model that I have. You know, that's one of the biggest things when I work with women is helping them design a business model that works for them. Then you get out of this comparison piece. And so you start to feel better about yourself. I think all of those things help. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a saying, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know, um, you know, in my past, I found myself doing that. And I have this prayer on my wall, like, you, you know, help me not to covet anyone else's things. Right? Mm-hmm. So that is just my prayer, because, you know, in, in my world, 
it's all about how you look, what you're wearing, what you're driving. And I've had someone say to me, like, you know, you need to step your game up. Like, why don't you have a Louis or a Gucci or why are you not like, because people look at you and they judge you and they say you have money because you wear these things. And so I have found myself feeling um, guilty and shameful because one, I, I, I don't feel like I have the resources to spend on those things. But two, I think I would freak out like I was doing on the phone with you when I did make a decision to make a purchase almost on that level, probably on that level. And um, God, it took me like two weeks to like reconcile this in my mind that, okay, well now I did this thing and it wasn't, you know, all of that. So I love what you said is get into your own life. Yeah. Cause that's going to be different for everybody. Right. Uh, I played golf. I, I have for like the last what, eight or nine years. And so that's my thing. You know, I spend on my golf clubs, uh, going to the different clubs that we go to or what have you. But that's my thing. You know, I always say, like, get into what your thing is. Your thing may be the bags. I have friends who love bags. Uh, you know, they're going to have certain jewelry pieces or whatever. I think we all just get to be ourselves. And then I, when when you live from your own playbook, life just feels better. That's so true. Live from your own playbook. Wow. So, okay, so let me let wrap it up. How can someone work with you? Because you have just dropped some gems um, in this podcast. I don't even think we have enough time to continue just all the things that you do and how you bless people. But how can someone work with you? What would be the way to start? Uh, absolutely. So you definitely can just reach out to me, melissaalva.com, and I will put my... Um, link for them to schedule something with me i guess i'll, I'll give that to you mm -hmm. uh, but you can reach out to me on facebook uh i love to start with people working with me with the vip day because then we can look at your past trauma you know all of the the histories and then set the plan because i think when we do that clearing well i know when we do the clearing it's the most powerful when i created the program um, of the ancestral clearing, you get like just this new space to work from. And I'm just excited. I'm excited to see women step into their purpose. And then I'm excited to see them decide that they're going to go for more. And I just love, I just love seeing people have the results. So what is the VIP day? Like, I know you just had one. Uh, actually that was, <laughs> that was a weekend. It was a oh, okay. All right. All right. My bad. <laughs> So that was, it was, it was, it was just recently and it was our six months. So this was a client who had worked with me for six months. So it was our ending cer ceremony of, of all the things like the mechanics of her business, all the marketing pieces. And so on that weekend together, we just, we tweaked everything that needed to be tweaked personally. I touched every area of her business. It was phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. But the VIP day is when you're just getting started. And so we, we start out, we plot your plan. We look at the numbers that you want to have or, or desire to have for retirement. We look at everything. So anything around your money, we plot that out. And then if you are a person who is in business and there's an area that you need a up level in, then in that day, we put together, put together a plan for that. And if you don't have a business, but you want one, um, I help you design your framework for your business. So we take your unique genius or superpower from the Clifton Strength. So I'm very um clinical base in a lot of my approaches so we look at your clifton strengths and we design you know your business based off of what your superpowers are and, and how you want that to lay out uh but i've had clients who you know again in their retirement because they they by design they were going to need to speak in retirement have some program so they have this 1500 dollars gap that was there so they can have the life that they want um but clients who sell books you know teach people how to write a book client who's a speaker. Uh, I, I have clients who've done all sorts of things just to be able to have the retirement they wanted and only work a couple hours a week. So I just, I just love the work that I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah, listen, in my conversations with you, it's obvious that you love it and you're good at it. And so 
Uh, they're honored to have you and someone to help them navigate this space when it comes to here. Because I just don't believe that. I believe that we can do all the things. We can get the education. Yeah. We can get the great job or we can start the business. But until we deal with these foundational things, I, for one, am I, I from personal experience, know that you will continue to revisit those behaviors and those mindsets to put yourself right back where you started and you feel like you're swimming upstream. And so I think that I'm a firm believer in therapy. I'm a firm believer in coaching, just, you know, that is specific to what you need. You know, I think I was talking to a coach earlier as well. I think it's a, a term that has been, it's been very trendy, so to speak. And so really working on specifically where you what you want to do and how you can elevate personally, professionally, financially, all of that is important for you to be able to realize the breakthrough and the lifestyle, the life that you want. And so mindset in the work that you guys do is um, counselors and coaches, I think is so very important. And I think anyone, you know, who goes in this way and tries to figure this out they'll see some good results i know i have i have worked with people in this space and it's definitely helped me a long way to go yet but still it has helped me so what i'm gonna do is um share your contact information with in in the um in the podcast excuse me i can't find my words they share the contact information. I'm going to encourage you all just to, I don't know if she does consults, but call her. I do. Absolutely. Okay, so you do consult. Yeah, absolutely. So it has to make sure that it's a good fit for both of you, for everybody involved. And then just, you know, peek in with her, have a conversation. She's deep, y'all. I mean, I don't, we couldn't even get the deep, the depth here. <laughs> we have so little time. And I don't want her to do her work here live but i i do believe that she shared some really important information for for us and you know ladies we got to deal with this money shame we got to get healed from this we are growing i think i was listening i'm on this um, thing called purse strings i'm one of their approved professionals and they said july 27 2023 is when a black woman has earned the equivalent of what a white man and a, bl- a white woman has earned in their careers. Same level of positions. So that says a lot. It takes us seven months to get to equilibrium financially. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because, and we're smart and we're earning and we're doing yeah. very well. So we still just, you can't make a whole bunch of money without dealing with the issues there. And having someone help you navigate that, like Melissa, is, is going to be extremely important, I think. So I strongly urge you guys to talk with her, schedule some time and chat and listen. Listen to her podcast. It's called what? Your Richer Life, right? Yeah, I have a rich and worthy. You're rich and man. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, that is rich and worthy. Check out her podcast. You guys listen to that and then reach out and chat with her and and if you've got some of the issues that we've talked about today, I think you'll find a lot of value in communicating with her. So thank you so much for showing up for us today and giving us your time. Your time is extremely valuable. And I am appreciative and honored that you gave it to the Becoming a Financially Confident Woman podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.